Hello, Crossroads family. Welcome to my home, and thank you for welcoming me into your home. I'm so glad you're worshiping with us today. I hope that you've been engaging in this time of worship, that we find ourselves separated in various locations scattered all around this community. I hope that you have truly engaged as we worship our great God today. I want to thank you for joining us, and I also want to say thank you for respecting the uh, direction of our state, our local and federal government leaders, as they've asked us to to practice social distancing and now also just to reside at home, hoping that this coronavirus will not spread any further. And we're praying to God for his help to be full of faith to be wise and to be loving to our neighbors. And I'm sure glad that you are worshiping with us today. We're gonna be looking at a passage of scripture from John chapter four. I'd encourage you to grab a copy of the Bible if you have one there, uh, wherever you may be, or to use one on on an electronic device. We're gonna be looking at a moment in the life of Jesus when he encountered a man whose son was sick. And he demonstrates authentic faith. And I think we can learn a lot from this moment in the life of Jesus. So if you will, turn with me to John chapter 4. If uh, you're new to Crossroads, we have been studying through the book of John throughout the entire year here in 2020. We're doing that for one purpose. We want to learn to live and love like Jesus. And I'm glad that you're joining us today. Let's read beginning in John chapter 4, verses uh, 43. It says this, After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had all been seeing witnesses of what he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been with him there. Jesus is completing a journey recorded by John that began actually in chapter 2. Jesus attends a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and he turns water into wine. Then with a few of his family members and disciples, he travels to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And after the Passover is over, he actually is visited by a religious leader named Nicodemus. And he begins his journey back to his home and he passes through Samaria where he meets a woman who was seated at a well. And he reveals to her his true identity and she places her faith in him along with many people from her village. And after spending two days with uh, this woman and her villagers in Samaria, he now returns to Galilee and near his home, Nazareth. This is where he was from. In 2012, the UK Wildcats men's basketball team won the national championship. And soon after that game, I traveled to Lexington, Kentucky and got to tour the practice facility that's located on the campus there. And as I rounded the corner, I saw this man that I had to look up to, and I immediately recognized him. He was actually a senior on on that basketball team, and his name is Darius Miller. And he is from my hometown, Maysville, Kentucky. And I had to meet him. And so I went up to Darius. I stuck out my hand. I shook his hand, and I said, hey, Darius, my name's Phil, and I'm from Maysville, Kentucky. We're from the same dirt. Jesus quoted a a popular proverb right here in this scripture that seemed kind of random or it may even seem contradictory when John immediately follows Jesus' statement that a, a prophet's not welcome in his hometown or honored in his hometown, immediately saying that the Galileans welcomed him. It helps to refer back to an earlier statement that John had made in John chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, which reads, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus could not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. 
He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Jesus knew the hearts of those people from his hometown, and they, he knew that they were amazed at the miracles that he had performed, but they really weren't interested in his true identity as Messiah and Savior. Jesus knew that if people were only focused on the physical impact of his power, that they would miss his true mission, which was spiritual, offering eternal life through his death and resurrection. He faced pressure constantly to become what people wanted him to be. Maybe just a, simply a miracle worker or a political leader who would free them from Roman domination or just become an earthly king. Some scholars feel like that's why he went back to his hometown to avoid this, this growing popularity and for uh, the people pressuring him for the wrong purposes. John in the prologue, John chapter 1, states that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Let's see what happens next in John chapter 4, now reading in verse 46. Once he arrived in Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son. He was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus said to him, you will never believe. While Jesus was visiting Cana, the royal official, many who believe was a soldier who served Herod Antipas. He was a, a political leader in that area. This man came to Jesus asking for him to heal his son. Before we discover how Jesus helps this young boy, I think we need to realize that his initial response is really directed at the people, not really the man alone. And it reflects his, his previous challenge about their level of faith. It might be helpful to contrast the response of the, the people in Samaria who had responded to Jesus in faith by just listening to his words. Contrast that to the continual demand by the Jewish people who were always looking for a physical sign or a miracle. When it says that they welcomed him, that might refer to just their anticipation of another miracle or two, not an authentic faith. Coming off this very powerful, spiritually charged moment where many in Samaria had responded to Jesus in true faith by just hearing his words, trusting him as Messiah not just, but, but, and also Savior, Jesus is challenging those in his hometown to, to grow in their faith past just waiting and looking for another miracle. This is consistent with Jesus' initial invitation to his first disciples that we read about in John 1. He invited these people to come and see. But he wasn't referring to the miracles, but rather to his identity. In fact, he told Nathanael that you should come and follow me and you will see my true identity. And Nathanael was initially impressed by Jesus' miraculous power. But Jesus says to him, you will come and see me for who I truly am, the son of man from heaven. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples in the flesh. And Thomas, one of the disciples, wasn't present but when the others told Thomas that they had seen Jesus resurrected, Thomas responded, Unless I see the nail marks in his hand and I put my finger where the nails were, until I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Well, a week later, Jesus appeared to his disciples again, and Thomas was present this time. And Jesus invited him to put his fingers where the nails were and to touch his side. And after Thomas proclaimed, My Lord and my God. But listen to Jesus' response. It's John 20, verse 29. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. 
That is a good working definition of authentic faith. Hebrews 11.1 says this, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Jesus is continually challenging his followers to believe in his true identity and to demonstrate true faith. Trusting God for who he is, even though we've not seen God. Jesus came so that we would have a good picture of God so our faith could grow. He performed miraculous signs to to give proof to his deity and to display the power of God so that our faith could grow. But ultimately, faith is believing without seeing. It's having confidence and assurance in who God is, even when we can't see him or even see how he's working. This is authentic faith. And now we're going to see a living example of it. Look at John chapter 4 again in verse 46. Once when he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. The royal official said to him, Sir, come before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. This soldier in this moment in Jesus' life was a dad, and he was desperate. Regardless of his power and authority, he was in need. And he had heard of Jesus churning the water into wine in his hometown. I mean, everybody had heard about that. That was the only miracle that John's even mentioned in his gospel so far. But word was spreading about Jesus' miraculous power. What was wrong with his son is unnamed, but it says that it came with a fever. And the man seemed confident that Jesus could help him, and so he sought him out. Jesus was not reluctant to help, and he didn't need to go with the man so that his son would be healed. Jesus healed his son right there, and he told the man to go back home. You know, no one would have ever been able to understand. They would have never heard of somebody having the ability to heal from a distance. This is like God saying, let there be light. And because Jesus is God, he could speak with the same power. I love that our God is that powerful. But I also love how the man responded. John 4 verse 50 says, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. What a picture of authentic faith, believing without seeing, being confident of what he hoped for. As the man traveled back home, he he met some of his servants and they said, the boy's alive. And when the dad inquired as to the time when the boy got better, it was the exact time that Jesus had said his son was healed. John records that this man and his entire household, which most likely include his wife, his other children, even his servants, they all came to faith in Jesus. Their belief was the same type of belief that we saw the people in Samaria had in who Jesus is. The type of belief that brings life, not just physical life, but spiritual life. The faith that was described as is not just looking and, 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 and wanting a miracle, but finding eternal life in who Jesus is as Messiah, as, Messiah, as Savior, as Lord. 
You know, I think there's a, a strong truth found in this progression of authentic faith that we see in this father that we can learn from. Authentic faith begins with reason. It began for this man by him hearing about who Jesus is and what he had done and mentally considering, if this is true about Jesus, maybe he can help my son. I think authentic faith doesn't require you to chuck your brain out the window. It asks you to recognize the wisdom presented and then take action based upon it. To recognize the truth of who Jesus says he is and to trust him at his word. I think it takes an interesting amount of faith to believe that God didn't create the world or that he didn't perform all the miracles in the Old Testament, that, that Jesus didn't come to earth or perform miracles, that he didn't die and come back to life. I think compared to the faith of recognizing that those things are true as proclaimed in the Bible, take example for, for example, intelligent design. It appeals to reason more than any of the other uh, theories about the origin of life. Authentic faith begins with reason. It doesn't require seeing to believe, though. It be begins with reason, and it continues with trust. The father went looking for Jesus to help, and he begged Jesus to come and heal his son by coming to his house. When Jesus told him that the boy was going to live, the man took Jesus at his word. He went back and he found the son, just as Jesus said. He obeyed Jesus' instruction, just like the servants had at the wedding when the water was turned to wine. Faith requires a response. Faith without actions is, without actions is not authentic faith. That's why James chapter 2, verse 26 says this, Faith without deeds is dead. There's a lot of analogies people have used to talk about this trust aspect of faith. One is by sitting in a chair. If you took a chair and it looks sturdy and stable and strong, you don't place your faith in that chair until you sit down in the chair. You may have heard about the story, and we don't know if it's true or not, but there was a man who stretched a tightrope across Niagara Falls, and he walked back and forth across that tightrope, and a, a large cr a crowd began to gather. And then he pulled a wheelbarrow up, and he pushed that wheelbarrow back and forth across the Niagara Falls on that tightrope. And then he asked the crowd that was gathered, how many of you believe that I can cross the Niagara Fall on a tightrope? And they all raised their hand. How many of you believe I could push a wheelbarrow across this tightrope? And they all raised their hand. He said, how many think that I could put a person in the wheelbarrow and push it across this tightrope, across Niagara Falls? And they all thought that he could. And then he asked for a volunteer. And no one offered the volunteer. Faith requires action. Abraham believed God, Scripture said, and he took action by taking his only son up a hill and to offer him as a sacrifice. This father in John 4 came believing Jesus. And he went back home trusting what Jesus had promised. Authentic faith begins with reason. It builds with trust. And it also comes to completion with rest, satisfaction, and dependency on God. When faith is full grown, it's displayed by a level of, of rest, satisfaction, dependency on God. That trust Him with everything. And most importantly, with the most important aspect of life, salvation. Authentic faith is a recognition and an acceptance that, that you and I can't do life on our own, that we can't live a holy life, that we're in need, and we, and we trust Jesus to help because of who He says He is and what He offers us, forgiveness and grace, salvation from the mess that you and I have made of life and the sins that you and I have committed, and the promise of eternal life in heaven, all as a free gift. 
We receive that by faith and we live in response to it. Eternal life comes by entrusting our life into the hands of Jesus. Listen to how Paul tells the Romans about this in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. Verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might be possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more now, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus declares that authentic faith is not just an excitement over the miracles that he has and can perform, but it's a trusting, abiding dependence on him to meet our greatest need, salvation. And having received life in him, to live the rest of our lives trusting in him and also sharing that faith with others. Authentic faith is grounded in who Jesus is, not just in what he does, not just for the benefits. Grant Osborne says that wonderment centered on sensational will never suffice for genuine faith. You know, you and I, we have no better time to have authentic faith than right now, to share that faith right now. I couldn't leave this passage today without pointing out some of the truths relevant to where we find ourselves right now in history, dealing with this worldwide pandemic called coronavirus. Let me make sure that we all understand and recognize the source of all illness, disease, and death. It's not God. God created man and woman in the Garden of Eden in perfection, with no sickness, no illness, no disease, no death. We call that state that they were created in shalom. Shalom is defined as the webbing together of God, humanity, and all creation in justice, in fulfillment, and delight. It's universal flourishing. However, when sin entered the world by Adam and Eve disobeying God, so did sickness, illness, and death. But that was never how God wanted things to go or how he wanted it to turn out. Adam and Eve were driven out of the Garden of Eden by God after they sinned. And God then prevented mankind from eating from the tree of life and living forever. Humankind would stay physical and would ultimately die. And with a physical body, physical weaknesses would be acquired and passed on to future generations. So that in time, sicknesses would develop quite naturally. Based on the fact that man cut off from God would continue to live in a world inspired by Satan. Ultimately then, physical sickness was introduced into the world through the origin of sin by Adam and Eve. I truly believe that sin brought destruction of all kinds into our world and that Satan is the source. It was Satan who brought sickness to Job's life, even though Job was righteous. 
So we cannot say that all sickness and illness, disease is a punishment from God. While there are consequences for sin that can bring with it illness, like sexual immorality can also often lead to sexually transmitted diseases. As an example, sin wreaks all kinds of havoc and disorder, chaos and discord in our lives. Jesus saw Satan and the demonic as the source of disease and affliction in people's lives. But he said in at least one instance that a person's sin didn't cause these. We will see that later in John chapter 9. And we will see time and time again that Jesus heals the sick, the diseased, he raises the dead to life. A fulfillment of the prophecies about Messiah is that he would bring healing and restore life. And Jesus' sacrifice, which can be applied to obtain forgiveness of spiritual sin, can also be applied then to obtain freedom from all the consequences of sin. By his stripes we are healed, Isaiah 53, 5 says that. I hope you're tracking with me in this. Maybe the simplest way to say it is to quote John 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. A friend shared with me a, 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 a quote, a, a saying that kind of puts in perspective what, what Satan's ultimate schemes are and what Jesus' ultimate mission is. It was credited to C.S. Lewis, but I don't think he may have said it. It kind of reminds me of the book he wrote, those screw tape letters. Listen to this conversation. Satan says, I will cause anxiety, fear, and panic. I'll shut down businesses, schools, places of worship, and sporting events. I'll cause economic turmoil. Jesus says, I'll bring together neighbors. I'll restore the family unit. I'll bring dinner back to the kitchen table. I'll help people slow down their lives and appreciate what really matters. I'll teach my children to rely on me and not the world. I'll teach my children to trust me and not their money and material possessions. Jesus is very clear. His purpose is to bring life. Let's not be quick to blame some ethnic group or conspiracy or even God in the midst of this pandemic as we see people get sick with fever, get ill, or even die. We can seek His help. He's capable of healing, and we must trust Him. Even though Jesus allowed some time to to go by between the first time He heard that His best friend Lazarus was sick and eventually died, when He arrived, He proclaimed this, John 11, verse 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus didn't heal every sick person. He didn't raise everyone who died. In fact, Lazarus, who he did raise, died again. Place your faith not just in the miracle worker, but in the Jesus who is resurrected and brings life. Not just physical life, but spiritual life, eternal life. John 1 verse 12, Jesus says this, Yet to all who received Jesus, to all those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The father in this encounter with Jesus responded to the invitation that Jesus made to place his faith in who he truly is and to find life in his name. And he received not just physical life for his son, but everyone in his household found eternal life in him. And John says this is the second sign that Jesus did in Canaan. Jesus did more and he will continue to do more miracles so that people will come to know with confidence who he is and place their faith, this authentic faith, in him. 
Tim Keller says this, Life-giving faith grows pure and strong and beautiful in the same place as gold, the firmness. So I want to encourage you to have authentic faith. Trust in Jesus and His help during this time. Even if you can't see how He's working, rest in Him as the source of eternal life at all times. Respond in authentic faith as you seek to honor His way of living by loving others. Rodney Spark in his book called The Rise of Christianity said this, In the days of the early church, Two deadly epidemics hit the Roman Empire, one in 165 AD and one in 251 AD. Afterwards, the church was stronger and Christians had a higher survival rate because they cared for each other. Also, many people were so impressed by the way Christians cared for non-Christian victims that they turned to Jesus. What a picture of the authentic faith that you and I can live with in this day, in this moment, and for God's purposes. Authentic faith responds to who Jesus is and the ways that he's revealed himself to us by living and loving like Jesus. So let's have that kind of faith. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for sending Jesus to give us a picture of your heart, your character, your power. Thank you that as Jesus walked the face of this earth, he had the power to heal. He had the power to restore He had the power to bring life, not just physical life, but eternal life. And God, I pray that we would trust him. God, that we would look to to Jesus for our help, especially in this time as we walk through this period of history affected by coronavirus, God. As we work to make wise decisions for our family and for our neighbors and for those around us. God, as we seek to live in love like Jesus and be good neighbors, caring for those around us, God. I pray that we would have an authentic faith. It just doesn't wait for another miracle from Jesus, but trust him for who he is, Messiah, Savior, the one who brings life, eternal life. And God, my prayer is that all of us would respond in authentic faith. And I pray specifically, God, for the person who has questions today about who you are and who your son is. I pray that they would hear these words from Scripture and they would take steps of faith. They would pursue you for who you declare that you are, and that we would point people to Jesus as we serve them and love them the way that he does. And God, I pray until the the day we're able to worship together as, as a body of Christ, and also until the day that we see you face to face, we would be faithful. We'd be faith filled with an authentic faith that doesn't require seeing, but trust in who you are and loves you because of who you are. And I pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Just a few moments, we're going to put some discussion questions up on the screen. And I would encourage you, if you're watching and worshiping with us from home or wherever you might find yourself, if you're with a group of people or with someone else, I'd encourage you to take some time to discuss your responses to these questions. Maybe if you're by yourself, I'd encourage you to take out your journal and write your responses to these questions. Or maybe call a friend or or go on FaceTime with a friend and share and and dialogue about what your responses might be to to this encounter we see with Jesus and this father in John chapter 4. 
We also want to facilitate a discussion, and we're going to offer a, a Facebook Live event on a Monday, March the 30th at 6.30 p.m. on Facebook Live. We'd encourage you to, to join in with us. We're going to just talk about these questions. We're going to look back at this passage. We're going to just have some conversation and do our best to connect and engage while we're all separated and, and spaced out right now. Certainly, as always, if there's anything that we can serve you and your family in any way, I would encourage you to call us at the church office or to text uh, the church office number. That's 812-858-8668. And also, if you uh, feel God prompting you to take a step of faith, maybe to move from to reason or maybe to move from reason to trust or maybe from trust to complete dependence on Jesus for salvation, I encourage you to reach out to us and to let us know how we can walk alongside you as we all continue to learn how to live and love like Jesus. Thanks for engaging with us in worship today. We look forward to seeing you again next week.